We read the scriptures from the New Testament, the gospel according to Luke, 15th chapter of Luke, reading verses 11 through 32, last portion of the 15th chapter, the book, the gospel of Luke. We break into the midst of Jesus, surrounded by sinners and Sadducees, those who greatly appreciate him and those who greatly despise him. And he is communicating effectively with a number of parables. The effectiveness of it for us will be in anticipation of what the Lord's Supper illustrates to us, the Father's banquet. Reading from the Gospel according to Luke chapter 15, beginning with verse 11. And he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father! Give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. Not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, And he set himself into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, but no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to eat and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found They began to be merry. Now, his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. 
Therefore his father came out and pled with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you, and I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you have never given me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this your son, this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, and you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It is right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. The latter half of this parable is about the father's banquet. Do you know the heart of God that is illustrated in the father's banquet? Can you picture God throwing a party? Can you imagine him putting on a feast complete with music and dancing? Can you imagine the Lord himself standing in the midst of the party and singing a happy song? Can you picture that? Maybe not. Maybe you think of God as solemn and somber and silent. In your mind, God isn't the party type. He certainly isn't the type to sing and dance. At least he shouldn't be. Not when people that he sings over have been so rotten. God should be more dignified. And if he's going to celebrate at all, he should reserve the celebration for those who deserve it. The parable is not finished with the father's banquet for the younger son and the rejoicing over the lost son being found. Comparison of the older son completes the story. All through Luke 15, we have been given two contrasting images. There are two contrasts in each of the parables. The parable of the sheep contrasts the 99 secure sheep with the one lost sheep. The parable of the coins contrasts the nine secure coins with the one lost coin. And the parable of the sons contrasts the secure son with the lost son. There are two contrasts in the event in which these parables are told. We have tax collectors and sinners who drew near to Jesus, but the scribes and the Pharisees mumbled against Jesus. In the parable of the lost son, is it only the younger son who is lost? The younger son openly repudiates his father. He wants his father's property that he may enjoy it apart from his father. The older son appears to be outwardly a just person until the younger brother returns. 
That event reveals that the older brother also only wants the father's property that he may enjoy it apart from his father. The younger son has been far from his father in distance in a country because of the actions of his, because of the sins of his actions. The elder brother has been separated from his father from sins of his attitude. Even as the farther away son, he is even farther away than the younger son, separated from his father through his sins of attitude. At this stage in the story, we find the younger brother is bound to the father by grace. It soon becomes evident that the elder brother is bound to the father by obligation. These parables of our Lord deeply touch the known sinners, and the self-righteous. This third paragraph, par- parable reveals, excels in revealing the Father's heart in the unfolding of the banquet. We summarize this passage with three headings. In verses 25 through 28, the, cri- the crisis about the Father. In verses 39, 29 through 30, the criticism of the Father, and in verses 31 and 32, the correction by the Father. Verses 25 through 28, the crisis about the Father. In Jesus' story of the rotten runaway who stumbles home to his father when all the other options have failed, The father receives the young man with hugs and kisses and celebrating and singing. Jesus knew that people would not like that story. These people had already been griping that Jesus had had too many parties with too many people who had been very bad. Jesus' critics preferred a story of their own in which the father was stern with the runaway and made him a slave for a while before he could be received back as a son. That was their kind of God. They wanted a God who, was, who wasn't so undignified, so sentimental, and so quick to forgive. God should be less generous with scoundrels. He should reward those who work hard and keep the rules. Jesus knew how tempting it is to think of God in this way. So he took this story a step further and told about the big brother. When the younger brother grabbed his inheritance and ran off to the far country, the older brother also received an inheritance. But he didn't run off and spend it. He stayed and worked for his father. In fact, as he was working out in the field some distance away, he discovered that the Rascal younger brother had staggered home to his father's welcome. Big brother went on working, not knowing what happened, and he came back to the house. When he finished his work, he headed home. As he got closer, he heard the music, saw the dancing, and saw one of his father's staff and asked him what's going on. Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf. Because he has him back safe and sound. Master, isn't it wonderful? Your kid brother is home. He's shown a little wear and tear, but he's okay. Oh, I'm so happy to first to let you know. 
Rather than join the party, the elder brother was angry. The word used here carries the idea of swelling, settled anger like the rising of a sap in the tree on a hot day. He was boiling. He absolutely refused to go in. His sinful attitude began to come out. His judgmental and criticism of his brother about his sinful actions. He was judgmental and criti critical about his father and about his welcoming party. His attitude to his brother and his father show what he really thought about God. He thought of God as a harsh taskmaster. That's the way he reacted to his brother and his father. He illustrates what we are to others, precisely what we believe God has been to us. We are to others what we believe God has been to us. Is there an attraction to the things we dislike in others rather than an attraction to God's grace that he has done for others? The self-righteous attitude of the elder brother is exposed in the crisis about the father. The second movement, verses 29 through 30, the criticism of the father. Big brother didn't know the father's heart. He thought he could earn the father's favor. He saw his younger brother as a rival for his father's affection. He thought if he slaved away hard enough and kept the rules long enough, his father would love him more than his brother. He wouldn't even call his younger brother, his younger sibling, my brother. Instead, he spat out, this son of yours. He was furious. Why should that no good brat get all the love and attention parties? Why should the better brother be loved less and given less? That isn't fair. Big brother didn't know the father's heart. He didn't know the father already loved him without him needing to earn it. He didn't know his father's heart was big enough and had plenty of love to go around for each of his sons. If the father's love for the prodigal son was huge, it didn't make his love for the elder brother any less. But big brother didn't get it. He was so close to his father and yet so far. Big brother never ran away to a far country, but his heart was far from his father's heart. As it turned out, his attitude toward his father wasn't much better than his younger brother's attitude has been. He didn't enjoy his father's company any more than his wild younger brother had. He didn't enjoy his father's love and generosity. He was all work, no play, all duty, no delight. He wasn't the partying type, though he did have a secret wish for less slavery and more celebration. He didn't think his father would approve. He thought his father was too stingy to provide him the goods for even a low-cost party with his friends. Now that a party was being held for that no-good-for-nothing scoundrel, Big Brother blamed his dad for not doing enough to make the younger, the older son happy. He thought he had been a very good boy and he deserved better. The older son was a good man in the community. He was respectable, correct, exemplary, 
obedient and dutiful. He was steady, dependable, industrious, and thrifty. He also had a very high sense of moral uprightness. None of these things could be said about the younger brother. The older brother was good on the outside, but something was missing. As Mark Twain has said, he was a good man in the worst sense of the word. The older brother's heart was completely out of sync with that of his father. He didn't share his father's loving heart. He was sorry that his little brother had come home. He believed that his position was dependent on his performance rather than enjoying the position of his first son. He worked to maintain and strengthen it rather than share his father's gracious attention. He cared only about himself. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you. Somehow in his thinking, his father was a stern taskmaster. Elder brother was judgmental. He was too convinced of his own goodness, too attached to his own hardships to understand his own brother. Elder brothers are lethal. Imagine what would have happened if he encountered his returning brother first. So you've come back? Things didn't work out like you thought. Too bad. Listen, little brother, you're not welcome here. You broke your poor father's heart. You disgraced us all. You've now come back only because your money has run out. If you still had some money, you'd still be gone. At least have enough respect to come back when you finish your job and clean up yourself. Do you wonder how older brothers get this way? It's very easy to forget what we were like before we came to the Heavenly Father. As time passes, we begin to imagine we are the good people because we have avoided sins of actions and all the sins that we think of attitude run rampant within us. We do not regard our jealousy, our pride, our judgmentalism as sins. We call them our faults and shortcomings. So... We easily become critical, judgmental, unloving. Our surface familiarity with holy things has rendered them dull, insipid, and boring. Here is the criticism of the Father. How did the Father respond when Big Brother accused him of loving him less? Verses 31 and 32, the correction by the Father. Maybe you're like Big Brother. You're not in a wild and you're not a wild and wicked runaway. Maybe you've gone to church and tried to be good and hope that God would notice and approve. But you can do all that and never know the Father's heart. Do you see yourself slaving away for God without a chance of enjoying life? Do you sometimes get upset that God doesn't seem to notice your efforts and doesn't give you as much happiness as you deserve? That's how Big Brother felt. He didn't know the Father's heart. 
Do you know your Heavenly Father's heart? Do you know how loving and generous God is? Do you know how God feels toward you? Do you really know? God says in Zephaniah 3 verse 17, The Lord your God in the midst of you, the Mighty One, will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Jude records in verse 24, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. You can be a well-behaved, hard-working religious person and not be secure and happy in God's love. That fact may be the most miserable way into which to live, be a strict religious person who never quite dares to go for a wild, fun fling in sin in a far country, but never really enjoys God either. You try to do what God says simply because that's what you're supposed to do, not because you're enjoying being God's child. You know enough about God's standards that you can't enjoy a profligate, enjoy profligate sinning, and yet you don't know the Father's heart well enough to take pleasure in Him. You strain to perform, to prove yourself, to impress your Father in heaven, but you don't sense that God takes pleasure in you as his son or as his daughter. Until you know that God loves you and delights in you, until you realize that all God has is yours, you don't know the Father's heart. You will not enjoy the relationship with God that you are meant to have and... You won't enjoy the relationship with other people that you are meant to have. The person who makes you angriest, the person you most resent, is often someone close to you. A brother, a sister, a wife, a husband, a close relative or friend. You may detest and despise them for things that they've done, but do you know the real reason you detest and despise them? Not because of anything they've done, bad as it may be, but because you don't know the Father's heart. You're not secure in God's love for you, and you can't share in God's love for that person. Big brother wouldn't resent little brother so much or be so angry with his father if he was content in his father's love. The father in Jesus' story knows this, and he responds to the youngest, to the older son's bitterness with an outpouring of love for him. When the older brother grumbles about slaving away, the father's heart comes through in the first words of his response, My son! What love is expressed in those gentle words? Son! Can you hear God saying to you, my son, my daughter? With all of your duties and rule keeping, don't miss out the Father's heart. 
God doesn't want you to overlook to be to want you as an overlooked, overpaid, underpaid slave. He wants you as a son, as a daughter who delights in his love. He wants you to know his love, and he wants you to know that he enjoys having you around. The father in the story says, My son, you are always with me. He says in a way that shows that he is glad that his son is always with him. He assures his son that there is nothing more that he enjoys than just being together. Then the father takes it even a step further and says, Everything I have is yours. The elder son has been griping that his father never gave him even a scrawny goat for a meal with his friends and yet spoiled the rotten runaway with a huge party of prime beef. The father's response in effect is, Oh, my son, a goat? You thought I would give you a goat? Son, my whole herd is yours. Everything I have is yours. Our Heavenly Father says the very same thing to every follower of Jesus. God says, everything I have is yours. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 21, the Bible says, all things are yours. All things? Yes, everything that belongs to God belongs to his children as well. After all, if God gives his very self in the person of his son Jesus, what is there that he would hold back? As Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he with him not also among him, along with him, graciously give us all things? There is no limit to how much God is willing to give you. And there is no limit on how much God loves you. We don't always let this sink in, but God the Father loves you with the same love that he has for Jesus. God the Father loves you with the same love that he has for the Lord Jesus. In the Bible, Jesus talks to God the Father and says in John 17, 23, You sent me, and I have loved them even as you have loved me. God gave his eternal son over to death in order to make us his children and to give us eternal life. God's infinite love for Jesus is directed toward all who trust Jesus. And because we are connected to Jesus by faith, God takes the same pleasure in us that he takes in Jesus. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, God says of Jesus, This is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. When you are linked with Jesus by faith, God says the same thing of you. This is my son with whom I love. With you I am well pleased. You are my daughter whom I love. With you I am well pleased. How would your life be different if you heard God saying that to you? 
What would you change if you knew in your heart that God loves you and makes in, takes enormous pleasure in you, that he even sings and celebrates over you? If you really knew the Father's heart, you would not want to run away from him at all. If you had run away, you would head back to God as quickly as you could. And if you had been doing religious duties all your life, trying to earn your way into God's favor, you would relax and rejoice that you are his beloved child and that everything God has is yours as well. Think about the correction by the Father. There is a story about a man who appeared at the gates of heaven. He was met by an angel who told him, It will take 1,000 points to get in. Tell me about yourself so I will know how many points to give you. Well, the man smiled and said, I have been going to church for almost every Sabbath day of my life. Excellent, said the angel. That gives you zero points. What else have you done? The man was shocked. Zero points? He gasped. Well, uh, I was a Sabbath school teacher. I was an elder. I tithed my income. I was a good neighbor. Very good, said the angel. That too gives you zero points. Remember what the master said? So likewise ye, when ye have done all these things which are you are commanded, commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which is our duty to do. The man gasped again. At this rate, he said, I'll never get into heaven except by the grace of God. Father's banquet of this parable gives us important insights into sitting at the Lord's table. Especially of our Father's delight to commune with his people at the symbolical feast of the Lord's Supper. Our Lord Jesus, who created this parable is the one who satisfies the Father's justice by his substitutionary life and death for his brothers and sisters. We hear what Jesus said to the admonished church in Laodicea, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Christ will come and have fellowship with everyone who hears his voice of rebuke, repents of his sins, and trusts his righteousness, symbolized by the bread and cup. In Oriental lands, the sharing of a common meal indicated a strong bond of affection and companionship. If you are qualified to participate in the Lord's Supper, Reflect on your heavenly Father's love that is illustrated by the Father's banquet. Bow with me in prayer.
But Father, we thank you for such a story that can be so vivid to our imaginations that we can enter in and see the dramatic interchanges between the younger son and the father, between the older son and the father. In the midst of the assembly to which Jesus spoke, of the publicans and sinners, and of the Sadducees and Pharisees, we long to be renewed to understand the reality of the Father's heart. The symbolism of the Lord's Supper is so simple, and yet it is so significant. It is that which you have provided for us, that we might know of the confirmation of your loving kindness through our Lord Jesus Christ and in us. Many are the perplexities and the distractions of life. How we thank you for the opportunity to be renewed by reference to the grandeur of your love, which is accomplished in the life and the death of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So grant that we might come in a worthy manner unto you, acknowledging your gifts and your grace. We ask your mercies in Jesus' name. Amen.